Hello, this is Happy Place. A lot's happened since our last show came out and I wanted to take a moment to offer my condolences to King Charles and his family on the passing of Queen Elizabeth II. Grief takes many forms and at different times, so whilst we will always be a space for reflection and healing, if this isn't the right time for you, take a pause and come back when you're ready we'll be ready for you. In the meantime, we'll keep doing what we do with tears and laughter and everything in between. Here's today's episode. Hello and welcome to Happy Place with me, Fern Cotton. This is the show that helps you understand your body and mind so you can make better decisions for yourself. Today, I'm chatting to Rongan Chatterjee. The problem we're having now for many of us is that our stress responses are not being activated by wild predators. They're being activated by our daily lives, by our email inbox, by the three social media channels we're trying to keep up to date with, by the fact that we might have elderly parents to look after and young kids to care for, and the fact that we moved away from our communities and our families, so we're trying to do all of this stuff by ourselves when we would have had communities to help us in the past. Rongan's obviously been on the show before twice, in fact. You know who he is. He's a legend. He's one of the most influential medical doctors in the UK and is really at the forefront of simplifying health advice and just making it more human. He was absolutely the perfect person to have at the Happy Place Festival a few weeks ago. He just encompasses everything I wanted the festival to be about. In fact, I think he was having a great time exploring all of the activities we had going on. He was wandering about barefoot, looking all chilled, checking it all out and saying hello to so many of you festival revellers, taking pictures, hugging, having good chats. Blimmin' good egg is Rongan. I love him. And he lives down the road from Tatton Park, which made it very convenient for him too. Last time he was on, we talked about how living authentically or feeling unable to express ourselves properly can literally affect our physical health. And this time I really wanted to hone in on stress, sleep and feeling stuck. So if that sounds like a bit of you, stay tuned. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalised card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Okay, here we go. It's Rongan time. This is the show. I love the bare feet. I'm, I'm still in summer holiday mode, actually. Yeah. Schools haven't started yet, so I'm still holding on to the summer chill, basically. Summer chill, the sand, the bare feet. So, yeah, you can whistle those feet if you like. <laughs> got lovely feet, gorgeous feet. And there's something about being barefoot. It's very good for you, isn't it, actually walking on ground with bare feet. It's called earthing. It's a it beautiful is. thing to do. Yeah, I do it every morning, actually, at home. Do you? Yeah, it's sort of... 
as part of my little morning ritual, as my coffee brews sometimes, I'll just open the door into the garden and go barefoot into the garden for a few minutes and stuff and look at the trees. And I don't know, you know, on, on one level, is it a hippie-ish type thing to do? Yes. Uh, do I feel fantastic after I do it? Yeah. I'm like, you know what I mean? It's like, I, right. I, I think there is quite a lot of science on grounding. I'm not an expert in grounding in the science. I do, I'm reading quite a lot about it, but, but I love it. And I think for me, you know, a lot of these things, we go, well, where's the science for it? What's the evidence for it? And, and we kind of lost touch that we ourselves can be the evidence that we want for ourselves, right? If you feel good when you do that, why do you need someone on, on, on a podcast or in a book or, or, or someone to tell you? We all know on holiday, if we're barefoot on the sand and we go into the sea, we feel amazing. But why do we need to keep that for that one week a year on the beach? Why, if you're lucky enough to have a garden or some soil or something you can you know, access each day, and I'm very lucky to have a garden where I can do that, you know, it's a fantastic start to my day. So. It is, and it's such a, an easy, simple thing to do, as you say, that we know effectively works because we experience it on a holiday and we don't need to have someone sort of throwing stats down our necks so that we go oh I should do that it's like oh yeah it feels good just keep doing it and it is it is sort of that simple I know that's something you're obviously deeply passionate about and it's the foundation of your podcast certainly and a lot of the other work you do making simple life choices to feel better one of the things that we're actively trying to achieve this weekend is connection because obviously we've been for a period where that wasn't a given yeah. and I think we all have really understood the need for connection. What does that word mean to you? Because I think, again, it's a word that probably gets bounded about quite a lot but sometimes we're like, well, what is it? What is the feeling I'm looking for? What is the benefit of connection? What does it mean for you? Yeah, I think... If I think about the word connection, two things come up for me. There's connection to other people. There's also connection to ourselves. And, and I think sometimes we, we think about connection and we try and put it into just one of these categories. Whereas I think both of those things are equally as valid. So look, I've been on this site for about an hour and a half now. And I think what you and your team have done is absolutely fantastic. It's such a lovely energy. Um, you feel like you're around your tribe, similar people who've got similar interests. That's really powerful. There's a term I came across in the, um, you know, maybe 2020, 2021, called collective effervescence. Oh, I like that. It, it's, it's a gorgeous term, and it, I think it was coined by a, a scientist in the early 20th century, but it basically means that that sense of energy and harmony you feel when you come together with other people around a shared purpose. And, you know, you can get it here at the Happy Place Festival. You can get it at church if you're religious. You can get it uh, dancing with other people. You know, when I walked in, there was some sort of dance stroke yoga thing happening. I couldn't <laughs> quite figure it out. I was like, people are having fun there, right? That's awesome. But they will have been experiencing collective effervescence. So it, it really is quite profound. But then, look, when I put my medical hat on, what well, we know very clearly from some, um, some very powerful research suggesting that that feeling of being lonely, so not connected, is thought to be as harmful as smoking 15, so one five cigarettes per day. That's uh, wild. It is totally wild. And then you sort of think, well, why is that? And I think if you understand what stress is and what the stress response is, then you kind of understand why that feeling of being lonely 
is so problematic, and that's why I think the last two years there have been such negative consequences on people from keeping them away from other people. And I, I hope I'm wrong on this, but I, I feel really strongly that locking humans away from other humans is, is, is generally a bad idea. Yeah. Because we're social animals, we're wired to be together. Uh, and just to try and explain why that might be, right? Think about you. If you existed a million years ago, right? In your hunter-gatherer tribe. And if you were feeling lonely, so disconnected, right? If you, okay, let's look at it another way. You're in your tribe, and people around you, your stress response is down. If you are by yourself, right? So if you're by yourself, your body knows you're vulnerable to attack. If a predator was to come and approach your tribe, you don't have your crew, your team around you to help you, right? So your body activates its stress response just from being lonely because it's trying to protect you. If that lion comes and uh, attacks me, actually, your immune system's already ramped up, your stress levels have gone up, your inflammation's already gone up. All these things are fantastic to help you if you were to get attacked. The problem is, is if you're living in a state of day-to-day -day loneliness and disconnection from other people, disconnection from yourself, you are also activating your body's stress response. So I'm very passionate that, yeah, when we talk about health and wellness, sure, we like to talk about nutrition. Very important. Sleep, very important. But I think we've undervalued the kind of softer things, like being around other people, very, very important. Doing things that you love regularly, makes you more resilient to stress, really, really important. So, you know, a lot of thoughts when I think of connection. And I think last time I came on Happy Place, Fern, I, I shared an example of one of my patients who thought he had depression. And he didn't have, well, he had symptoms consistent with depression, but he didn't need an antidepressant. What he needed was actually a prescription for me to see his friends once a week, right? And I've seen so many cases like that, whereas if you actually try and sort of inquire as to really what's going on in people's lives, often it's a connection deficiency that needs correcting rather than anything else. It's so fascinating. And I think, obviously, everyone's different in their approach to connection. And we can even look at, I guess, personality types in terms of if you feel that you're an extrovert or an introvert. And I don't mean in a cliche way of you're either really out there and loud or you're really quiet in terms of how you deal with other people. So I would actually relate more to sort of introvert personality type because I love doing this and being around people, but I really need to be on my own and I really need to counterbalance the craziness. So during that time when we were all locked away, part of me was going, oh, great, I don't have to see anyone. This is amazing. But I got into quite a bad headspace with that and it took me ages to get out of it. So, for instance, doing this festival, the week leading up to it, I'm terrified. Because I'm going, oh my God, there's going to be so many people. And what if they're not enjoying it? And what if they don't like this and that? And the sort of pressure of that amount of people. Then, of course, when I'm here, I'm buzzing. I'm on a high. I'm feeling the connectivity of being with loads of people that want the same thing, to feel good, to have a great time. So I think it's very interesting for introverts during you know, what we've just lived through, I think made a lot of us really, really go in our shells. And now we're having to transition back to, no, I, I need connection. And when I do it, I feel really yeah. good. I got a bit lazy with connection, if I'm honest. It, I think the key line there was, 
when you do it, you feel better. Yeah. But beforehand, you're like, oh, can I be bothered? Is it, you know, well, we all go through that. And there's, there's this guy um, in Chicago, this psychologist, and he's, he's done these brilliant studies on commuters, right? And um, basically, a lot of us, like, you know, you go, like, I'm a northerner, so this is great to be at a festival 15 minutes from my house, right? And hearing Heaven. some northern accents, I'm absolutely loving it. And as we said earlier, northern people are all lovely. <laughs> There are no bad northern people. They're all so nice. All northerners are lovely. It's a fact. I think it's a fact. And, and I, remember the, I remember in my 20s when I went to, I think, London for one of the first times. And I got on the tube and I was really excited. I sat down and I was like, hey, mate, how are you doing? <laughs> Terrible and idea in London. I, I still remember it. I'm like, the guy just looked at me. And I thought, uh, I, I learned, oh, you don't do that on the tube. No. Right? You know, that's not what you do. <laughs> But, but he actually showed with these studies with commuters, and, and essentially, I won't give you the whole study, but, but what was really powerful is that he split them up into groups, said, right, one set, you go to work, you just keep yourself to yourself, do what you normally do. One group, you have to strike up conversation with someone you don't know. And the other group were specifically told to keep themselves to themselves. And then he measured what happened. And the group who had to make conversation with a stranger, basically, they felt happier and more content straight after their journey, and that feeling lasted the entire day. Wow. Right? And then when they went back and they asked them how many of them predicted that they'd feel better, like most of them predicted that, oh, I won't feel good, and the person I speak to won't have wanted to speak to me. But in the research, it showed actually, no, they felt better, and the person they spoke to also felt better. It's kind of what you're demonstrating here. Of course, you love this festival, you've created it, but, you know, if you're at home with your, your, your partner and your kids, it's like, oh, man, I've got to go up. I've got to, you know, perform yeah. with all these people. Yeah. But you're here. You know, I've been here. I'm, I'm still on kind of summer switch-off. I've really intentionally taken a lot of time off this summer. It's been a crazy few years, and I've really wanted to prioritize time with my wife and kids this summer. And I, and I feel really good that I managed to do that. And you did a complete digital detox as well. Yeah, I've, I've not time. been on uh, social media pretty much for about five or six weeks now, and I nearly went back on yesterday to post, and I thought, oh, no, I'll leave it another day or two, yeah. because I'm out of the habit, right? And um, I just feel that sometimes we, like you talk about what we've all been through, like many of us have developed practices, let's say yoga, right? We found a great online teacher that we like, and we do it at home, we don't have to travel, we can just put our computer up and do it. Okay, great, but there's also value to going to a class with 10 other people who've got the same interest as you. And, and I don't think we need to go either or. We're either yeah, do a extroverts bit of or we just want to be by ourselves. I think we all need a bit of both. Mm. I went to part, you know, one thing I do each weekend, I try and go to part run every Saturday morning with my son. And I just went this morning and volunteered. I didn't run. And you know, I was quite a bit tired when I got there. But, you know, I didn't sleep great last night, whatever. And... I got there, and after 30 minutes, 30, 40 minutes of cheering people on, to say, come on, you could do it. Was, yeah, that's great. Like, I felt like a million dollars coming back. <laughs> like, I felt I've just given out love for 40 minutes, that's and so I feel nice. fantastic now, whereas if I had a state at home, you could end up moping, or do you know what I mean? So I think you've got to get the balance right. Yeah. You can't be always out with other people and connecting and not connecting with yourself, but you can't also... You know, disconnect completely. Disconnect either. Yeah, I think you do have to push yourself out of your comfort zone to an extent. 
So it's very interesting. When looking at, say, that commuter example where, you know, we probably all felt that. I know there's a lot of people that have turned up here today on their own, which I think is awesome yeah. and very brave. Because I've been to, I, don't, I haven't been to a festival on my own. I went to an Elton John concert on my own once. I was terrified. I was like, why am I so scared? But it is such a strange feeling to be around groups of people or friends that have gone together and you're on your own. And it's a similar sort of feeling to if you were to approach someone that you hadn't met before or a, a, a random person sat next to you on the bus or the train. What is that fear? Is it just simply rejection that we're just... And then we'll have to go into self-loathing because that's the learned pattern. Yeah, totally. It's yeah. like, it's just, we want to fit in. We want to feel part mm. of a group. We don't want someone to, like, you know, shunt us or ignore us. We just don't want that. And who was that I was speaking to yesterday? It was a friend who basically was at an event and... I'm, I'm trying to careful to keep this confidential. Um, just spill the beans. Spill the, I'm like, spill the beans. <laughs> but basically, at an event, and someone they really liked was standing behind them in the coffee queue, but they were too nervous to say anything, and they sort of had a brief look, and they didn't think there was eye contact made, so it sort of creates a story that, oh, you know, they're not interested in talking, they're not whatever, you know, they don't like me or whatever. And then a few weeks later, they were at another festival together, and the other person came up and said, oh, I'm a big fan of yours. And, <laughs> you know, and, and, and basically, we live our lives creating these fictional stories oh, gosh, that we have yeah. no evidence that they're true, but we oh, they don't like me, they don't want to do... And it's, I think, once we become aware that we're creating that story, mm -hmm. we have no evidence it's real... I think it's really freeing and empowering. and um... It's so freeing. But I think you do have to be courageous enough to sort of dismantle your own narrative, which does leave you somewhat free-falling, because sometimes those narratives you create of everybody doesn't like me, I'm no good at this, whatever it might be, allows you to stay somewhat held back from reaching your full potential or trying new things or whatever because you're like, oh, well, I'm not going to do that because they don't like me or I'm not going to do that because I would obviously fail. So if you dismantle that narrative, you're kind of, it's, you know, you've got to then try new stuff and expand. Yeah, but, and it often comes for, for good reason, though, because if we think that, it usually comes down to some experience in our childhood yeah. where we actually did feel as though, whether we were, you know, I... I I've spoken about this openly on my podcast, but yeah, I, I can vividly remember being at my uh, secondary school, and I don't know, second or third year, like the group of mates I thought I was friends with, I remember them just ditching me, and I, I think I, I was crying in the corner on the field, you know, I was probably 14, you know, so not, not a primary school, you know, and then you sort of go back to your classroom, you're trying to morph and fit in with another group, and I didn't realize how much of that experience impacted how I was as an adult until I went back in over the last few years to a variety of therapies and journaling and stuff to try and understand myself and go, oh, you're still living your life as if you're at school and the cool kids have dumped you, right? And so you're, you're still fearful because of that. But I actually think the path to growth and real wellness, right? Real wellness for me is when you go in there and you need the courage to go and dismantle that stuff and go, actually, who I am right now is not who I have to stay. Yeah. That's been a massive thing for me, Fern. And I, you know, I really, a lot of people think the way we are, that, yeah, that's just me. That's my personality. No, much of my personality is not fixed, actually. It's who you became 
in order to survive your childhood. You do not have to stay that way forever if you don't want, but you have to make an active decision and go, I'm not going to just stay being a passenger and be reacting to stuff and being a victim in many ways. I'm going to take control here and change things. And I've changed many aspects of my personality, like to the point where my friends would say, I don't know if I said this last time we spoke, I used to be very competitive then. Like, super competitive. I am not anymore. Mm. Like, I genuinely am not competitive anymore because I've gone back, I've repaired what happened when I was a kid, and now I have no need to be competitive to actually prove some sort of thing to myself. I feel actually I'm worthy enough in who I am. I like the person I see in the mirror these days, so I don't need to be competitive. Mm, yeah. And, uh, I think it's very freeing. It's so freeing. I think it's so, so liberating. I can certainly resonate. I mean, I used to... I, I, I think I was uh, ambitious for the wrong reasons back in the day, whereas now my ambition comes from a place of, well, this feels fun, let's see where this will go. But I think my ambition prior to that was, I, I want people to like me, I want to be understood. And, and it was all coming from the wrong place, hence why there was an expiry date and I'm doing something completely new. But I think it's, it is really liberating understanding that we do have the propensity to change and, and to do things differently. Uh I have been super introspective over the past few months. I've, I've really been thinking about, you know, what, what is wellness, right? What, what does it really mean? Because I kind of feel that sometimes unwittingly, we or society gives off the idea that it's about this perfect life where you're eating beautifully every day, you're practicing your 20 minutes of yoga every night, you're on going to bed on time, and kids aren't waking you up, or, you know, all that sort of stuff, and it's just not real. No. Like, this is something I'll be thinking about on holiday all summer, is this idea of heroes, and, like, I do think we worship the wrong heroes in society. Yes. I think we, we want to be that person on telly, or, or that big influence, or whatever, but we only see one facet of their life, and... You know, when I last came in the show, I mentioned Tiger Woods. We think we want to be Tiger Woods, or so, certain people do. We want, want, want the golf swing like Tiger. Yeah, but you, if you want the golf swing like Tiger, you've also got to take the broken marriage. You've got to take the painkiller addiction. You've got to take the public humiliation. You can't have one without the other. And I, and I really do think even people who may look up to you, Fern, or look up to me, they don't know the full aspects of our lives. They may think, oh, you know what, if I had a hit podcast, I'd be happy. If I had a best-selling book, I'd be happy. Whereas it's easy to say from a position of having had success, but the truth is that stuff, it really doesn't no. make you happy. No. Like, it really, it's so short-lived. Yeah. Like, it's, it's... There's always another thing. There's always oh, another thing. Oh, I could thing. do another thing. And there's always more, always yeah. more. And until you make peace with that, I, I actually, I genuinely believe some of the happiest people... People, we just, we, we just don't even know who they are. I completely agree. They're not on you. Instagram. But if <laughs> you even, yeah, exactly. They're, they're living their lives. The happiest moments you've even experienced this summer. So I can certainly say, like last week, I went to the seaside in the UK and we went swimming in the sea every day and we did a bit of kayaking. They were some of the best memories that I can, you know, really hold in my heart with, with my kids. And there was no, like, sort of achievement or... You know, there was no big accolade or shiny thing. or It was just simple, lovely, feel-good stuff. 
And I think we're worshipping the wrong people, but we're also worshipping or aiming for the wrong stuff completely. And, I mean, we have been for years and years. We, we have been. Years and, and years. One of the big decisions I made in the past few months, I, I, I resigned my Radio 2 job, you know, and um, it was a big decision. You know, I had my own show on Sunday nights, a wellness show. Um, if as a kid you had told me I'd have my own show on Radio 2 and I would, you know, willingly leave it myself, I would have thought, you're mad. But don't get me wrong, I, I enjoyed it. But, you know, you know th this summer's been great on one level. It's also been very challenging on another level because my, my mum's not been so well and, you know, I, I, I help care for her and it's been pretty challenging at various times. And one of the things over the past few months uh, is I thought, I'm actually not sure mum's going to be around for that much longer. And as I was weighing up, something's got to give. I'm doing too much. Ready to was the last thing to come in. I don't take it for granted that I was asked to do the job. I don't take it for granted that I did it. But I thought, actually, if in two years my mum's not around and I'm this it's tipping me over the edge. I don't have time and energy for this. I'll be thinking, why don't I spend more time with mum while she was around? And so it feels very empowering to take back control and go, I know society says it's a great thing to do. I know for other people it may be the right thing to do. But for me, in this moment in my life, it just doesn't fit. And I can't make it work. And it felt, it was a hard decision. Of course. It was really hard. But it feels good to have made that. Do you know what I mean? It feels really good. So to make decisions like that, because I'm sure there are many people sat here or listening now that will have a decision to make about something. It might not be work-related. It could be anything. Relationship, friendship, dynamics, where you live, whatever. Sometimes, you, so to make a decision that you've just explained there with that clarity, you have to be able to root into your gut, gut instinct. So silly. Of you feel it. It's not a list of pros and cons. It's not some sort of cognitive equation that equals the answer. This is a feeling. There are times, I'm sure we've all experienced, where that feeling isn't there. You go, I actually genuinely don't know. And it's because there's some sort of, you know, there's a cloud in the way. You can't quite see that clarity. You can't feel that feeling. Do you have any techniques or a thought process? Well, it's not a thought process, it's a feeling, but a way to really get to that feeling. Like, what is the answer? How do I make this decision and the right one for me? How do we get to that place? Yeah, it, it, there's no quick fix here. It's not like, okay, go through this checklist and then suddenly you can tune into your gut. Yeah. If you've spent your whole life, or let's say the last five years, not tuning in and looking for... Um, looking for advice from other people. Right, it's something we're looking for advice from other people, but I really think we've got a problem in society now where we are putting too much emphasis on the experts we follow. We are the best experts for our own bodies. Yep. I've passionately always believed that as a doctor, that that patient knows more about their life and their health than I do. Wrong, keep your gob shut and listen. They will tell you what's going on if you can listen carefully. And, it, and you've got to trust yourself to go, okay, I'm just going to listen here and, and, and help my patient. But how do I apply that to myself? Until I had a daily practice of solitude, right? And what does solitude mean? Solitude is intentional time by yourself. For me, it works first thing in the morning, right? I know it doesn't for everyone. Certainly, my, it's not my wife's favorite time first thing in the morning, but 
actually, that works great for me because my wife loves to lie in and get up when she has to, just before the, the kids need to get ready or whatever. So I like to get up an hour, hour and a half before that to give myself some time. So if you regularly have time with yourself, let's say it's journaling, let's say it's meditation, let's say you don't want to do that, even if you sit and have your morning cup of tea and coffee and you don't scroll Instagram at the same time, right? That is so, so powerful. You will start to find each day you're tuning into what you're really thinking, what you're really feeling. If the first thing you do, right, and I will do this sometimes, even though I know it's not great for me, if the first thing you do is go on email and Instagram, you have lost this magical window where before the world starts putting thoughts in your heads and ideas in your heads, you, 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 you have time to think, go, oh, you know what, this is what I think about this, or, oh, my back's a little tight, I wonder why that is. You know, oh, maybe I've taken on too much at the moment. And I feel at the moment I'm really, I'm, I'm really in an introspective, reflective space because I've not been on social for six weeks. So what I don't think we realize when we're on social media, and I'm not here to denigrate social media. I like it. I use it, right? But it's hard for us to know what we think anymore. Mm-hmm. Are your thoughts your own? Or are your thoughts those of the people you've followed and those posts that you've read and then you think that's your own. And I know this gets quite deep, but going back to your question, how do you tune into your gut? You get quiet. You get quiet and you practice. You practice. You yeah. do it regularly. As a pro- because five, six years ago, I don't think I would have been able to. I think I would have gone pros and cons. Yeah, I should, I should stay. I, I can't do it. But I just got this strong feeling wrong. And, you know, this is, this is not the right thing for me at this moment in my life. And this is where advice gets tricky as well, because you can ask for advice for other people, but other people will see the world differently from you. They've got their own perception. And that's why, you know, Kirsty Gallagher's sitting in the corner, you know, Kirsty's wonderful, and she, Kirsty always talks, I don't know if you've seen her talk today, but she always talks about trusting your gut, you know, trusting your intuition. And I think that's something we really need more and more to do. And guys, if you... You know, if you look up to Fern, if you look up to me, you look up to any of these speakers, I would say to you, listen to us for sure. Take the guidance. Listen to the things we talk about. But then ask yourself, does this fit for me? Is this the right thing for me? And if it isn't, that's okay. You know, you don't have to do it. Even yoga, right? Yoga's great, right? Some people love yoga, but you don't have to do yoga. If yoga doesn't sing to you, right, then just because your mates are doing it and just because your favorite influencer is doing it, great, it might work for them. Maybe this is not the right time for you. So this is kind of where I'm moving for more and more is personal sovereignty. Tune into yourself. You figure out what's right for you, but you've got to practice. Well, exactly. I think it's so important because the world of wellness and everything that you're discussing now and that we're both very deeply passionate about obviously can fit into a neat package of certain people prescribing what your wellness should be and all the things you've just discussed, whether it's yoga, meditation, whatever. And all these things are great and can make you feel good and can help with your emotional, mental stress. But if it doesn't work for you, ditch it. But also, that stuff's not going to fix you. Like, I don't like it when stuff's prescribed and it's like, do all this stuff and then you're going to feel amazing. I think unless you have that introspection and are willing to 
Look at the trickier parts of your own life, your own past, the dynamics that you have in your life today. It doesn't matter how much green juice you're drinking, if you're putting reishi mushrooms in your eyeballs. It's not going to work. Like, none of that stuff's going to work unless you're going to look at yourself, your past, and really what you started talking about earlier, that connection to yourself. And I think we've all, at times, we've disconnected from ourselves as a coping mechanism, I'm assuming. We sort of disconnect from ourselves and we just get, we distract ourselves on purpose. But if we can root back to understanding how we work, who we are, what we've been through, and what makes us tick. Like we talked to Jambo earlier, who was talking about those moments where you're doing something or you're talking about something you love and your eyes get bigger yeah. and, your, and your body language changes. You know, that's, that's the stuff you should be doing, the stuff that makes you feel excited and it, and it will be different for everyone. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com Decision-making is huge for well-being. You know, well-being gets uh, truncated into, let's just talk about all the practices. But I think decision-making is huge because if we're making good decisions for ourselves and we're creating boundaries, we've got more time, energy, and headspace to do what we need to do and to really reduce stress, which I'm assuming is one of the biggest problems that all of us people in the modern world are facing today. Yeah, I Emotional, mean, mental, and physical. I am in no doubt now, um, you know, this August was, this July actually, it's just past 21 years since I qualified and have been practicing as a medical doctor. And I can tell you, there's no doubt in my mind that the number one factor in our long-term health and well-being is the amount of stress in our lives. I have zero doubts about that. I, I actually think it's not about what's more important. Food, sleep, movement, stress, it, that's, that's not useful. But I'm pretty confident that stress is the number one player and it's the one that we don't want to address because we feel it's harder to address. It's easier to buy the green smoothie and put it down. Hey, I'm doing wellness. I'm like healthy. Right? And then you're like, the package hasn't arrived and it said 24-hour delivery. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, I'm drinking my green juice. Exactly. And, and look, there's nothing wrong with the green juice, right? No, it's, green juice is great. It's, it's, it's a path, it's a continuum, but true wellness is, it, it's, it's, it, you've got to take into account. So you mentioned decision-making. I just want to stress this link to this, right? Because how do you make good decisions? Now, think about your brain in two parts. Well, this is a, a slight oversimplification, but I think it, it's a useful way of thinking about your brain, right? You've got your logical brain at the front, and you've got your emotional brain towards the, more towards the middle at the back, right? Now, when you're feeling calm, you're not under stress, you're relaxed. Let's say in the morning, when you're not on Instagram, you're chilling, you're journaling, whatever, right? You're, you're not, barefoot. You're barefoot, right? At that point, your logical brain is online, right? That's, it will help you assess what's going on in your world. It will help you make really good decisions based on what's going on, right? If you're feeling stressed, right, 
So, I don't know, you're in traffic, you're late for work, your email's inbox is doing your head in, whatever it might be, right? If you're not managing that, you literally see the world differently, right? You, you, your, your experience of the world is different. Your logical brain at the front goes offline pretty much, so you are, you are literally being led by your emotions. And there's something, you know, emotions are powerful. We shouldn't be going, we want all logic and no emotions, but this is why you can make a bad decision at 4 p.m. You can get really triggered by an email, send one back, and you think the next morning, yeah, did I need to send that back like that? Could I have worded that differently? Um, And they're done that. It's because you're in a different state. It's because actually you've switched off your uh, logical brain. So how do you make good decisions? You need to intentionally carve out space. You need to be aware. Like I'm aware now, if I'm feeling stress and there's a lot going on, I'm like, Rongan, now is not a good time to make a decision on this, right? And and I've learned from making poor decisions. I'm like, no, no, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to wait till tomorrow. Where possible, of course, it's not always possible. If I have to make one, I'll do something like to change my state. So I'll, I'll either go for a walk around the block, I'll do a quick breathing practice, or do you know what I often do when I don't have much time? I literally grab my skipping rope, and I'll do two or three minutes of skipping, and suddenly I just see the world differently. Yeah. You know? and, and often this is a really, I think, a really important idea for people who suffer with anxiety or, or negative thought patterns. Sometimes you can't keep using your mind to fix your mind. Sometimes you need to get to the body. You need yeah. to do something with your body, and that will change your internal mental state. Mm. And I say skipping. If you hate skipping, do something else. Do jumping jacks in your kitchen or your office. But I promise you, that sort of movement um, will literally change how you think. And then how does it all relate to stress? Because like, we mentioned that term a lot. Why is stress thought to be responsible for 90% of what doctors see, 90%. It's huge. Right? That is huge, and that absolutely correlates with my clinical practice. It's because when you are feeling stressed, it literally impacts every organ system in your body. So can I just briefly explain what the stress response is? We need to know. Because, because everyone, we, we use this term, but I think this really helps people get it, right? So what is it designed to do? It's designed to keep you safe. Right, so always keep that in your mind. Your stress response is designed to keep you safe. So, a few hundred thousand years ago, right? You know, bats that hunt together a tribe that you're in. The predator's approaching. The, the whatever animal you want to fathom up. Is I'm going saber-toothed tiger. Saber-toothed tiger. Fine, right? That's approaching. You or one of your tribes see it. In an instant, your whole biology and physiology changes. Right? This is this is great. So what happens? Okay. Loads of things happen, which I think is really interesting. Your blood sugar starts to go up. So more uh, sugar goes to your brain, which is going to help you think. Your blood pressure goes up, right? so it can deliver more oxygen to where it needs to go in the body. This is brilliant. Your blood becomes more prone to clotting, so that if that tiger was to cut you, instead of bleeding to death, right? Your blood's going to clot. That's going to save that your life. That is fascinating. What else happens? Your amygdala, which is your emotional brain, right, that goes on the high alert so that you are literally hypervigilant for any pin drop around you, any sort of danger, someone lurking in the trees. Your body's clever, right? Your whole, this is absolutely fantastic if there's a real threat because if there is a real threat, usually within 30 minutes, this is dealt with. Right? You've either found shelter, you've run off, 
or you've been, or you're dead, dead, right? But 30 minutes later, gone. So it's designed to be activated in short instances. The problem we're having now for many of us is that our stress responses are not being activated by wild predators. They're being activated by our daily lives, by our email inbox, by the three social media channels we're trying to keep up to date with, by the fact that we might have elderly parents to look after and young kids to care for, and the fact that we moved away from our communities and our families, so we're trying to do all of this stuff by ourselves when we would have had communities to help us in the past. So what happens then? Think about those responses I just mentioned, right? Your blood sugar going up for 30 minutes, great if you're having a spinning workout with a gym, or great if there's a tiger trying to attack you. If that's happening day in, day out to your life, your blood sugar's still going up every day. That's gonna make you tired. It's gonna start putting weight on around the middle, right? And ultimately will give you type 2 diabetes, all from stress. All from stress, your blood sugar can go up. Blood pressure going up. If you go and have a workout in the gym, your blood pressure will go up. That's an appropriate response to a short-term stressor. But if that's happening day in, day out to the state of your life, that's chronic high blood pressure, which leads to strokes and heart attacks, right? Anxiety, right? I mentioned the amygdala. That goes on high alert if there's a real threat, right? If there's a lion approaching, you want to be hypervigilant. If you are in the middle of Manchester walking down a dark street on a Friday night and you're by yourself, yeah, you want to be hypervigilant for any noise around you. That's an appropriate response. If that's happening, though, day in, day out to your email inbox and in the state of your life, that's anxiety, mm. right? So it's an appropriate response. There's nothing wrong with you. Your body's trying to protect you. So I, th I find my patients, they really, it really helps them understand, oh, this is why chronic stress is, it's literally changing my biology. And that's often the inspiration they need. Now, I just want to say, stress is not all bad, right? Stress, sometimes I can talk about it and people can get the idea that it's bad. No, a little bit of stress is good. A little bit of stress helps you think more clearly, right? You perform better. A little bit of nerves before you go on stage. Great, it's going to help you. But if you are chronically getting stressed, that kills nerve cells in your hippocampus, which is the memory center of your brain, which is why we now know that chronic stress is causative, right? Not just associated with, it's thought to now to be causative, one of the factors in dementia. Right, and I spoke to a guy a few months ago, Russell Foster, sleep scientist, incredible conversation, and there's two things he said to me, which I remember from a couple of months ago. One of them is the tired brain forgets the positive experiences and overly remembers the negative experiences in life, right? So if you're having a lot of negative thoughts, a lot of anxiety, think about your sleep for a minute. But he also said that, you know, in terms of... Um, I've actually forgotten what the other, what the other point was. That's hilarious, because you just talk about memory loss. There you go, about memory loss. Exactly. That was, that was right on cue. I've actually, I've literally had a mind blank. Because I'm still in holiday mode, I've run out of gas. I, I've got to really pick you up on, on something I need to know more about. Because... Um, I will remember in a minute. There's no pressure. I don't want any stress. <laughs> Rongen, around here. It was here. a slight degree of stress again. I actually can't remember <laughs> Why don't I say there were two My favourite moment of today, quite frankly. <laughs> so, I can massively um, take on board everything you're saying. When it comes to, say, anxiety, and I've had, I've talked about this 
tons. You know, I've had lots of panic attacks over the last sort of five years, and they've definitely decreased because of some decision making. So I've left some. My anxiety is always around work and outside judgment, stuff like that. There was times where it spilled into other bits of my life when it was really, really bad. I couldn't drive on the motorway, didn't drive on the motorway for five years, etc. So that lack of that feeling of lack of safety was quite all, all encompassing at some points. But the decisions I've made around work have really lessened some of that anxiety. But obviously, that's not always possible for everybody to make very definite decisions about things that cause them anxiety. And some of the things that I feel cause me anxiety now are purely psychological, but I feel still quite trapped in that. So, if, for instance, I've got a big day at work, like even like yesterday, last night, staying in a hotel, there was a wedding on, classic timing. Oh. It's like, oh, please, not a wedding. Please, not a wedding. Oh, my God. I can hear, like, the Macarena playing or whatever. <laughs> I'm like, oh, it's beautiful, it's lovely, but please, not tonight. But anyway, I felt a bit... I felt myself getting anxious about that, and then I, could, I felt on the edge of panic, like, oh, I don't want panic tonight. I need to sleep. I need for this to be okay. Um, and I, I feel out of control in those moments. I don't feel like I know what the best decision is to eradicate panic, because I don't mind feeling a bit of stress, but when it's that panic and I am on hyper-vigilant, hyper-alert, I'm never going to sleep again, I don't know how to use decision-making to lessen the stress. So I'm wondering, for anybody out there, feeling like there isn't a decision that would help, or, or they're unsure as to what the path is to get out of panic or acute stress, where do we even begin with that one? Yeah, it's, it, it's tricky, and I don't think it's the same answer for every person. Yeah. I think different people respond to different things. So are you talking about at night when those thoughts are going, or first Certainly in the morning? Certainly for me, it's, I'm, my panic comes at night, because my panic is, well, I'm not going to sleep, and then I'm panicking because that has transpired to be true. And it's just a cycle of that. Yeah, so there's a, there's a few things you can do. If it's at night, you're, not, you know, you're probably not going to go and walk around the block and actually change your state that way. Breathing practices can really yeah. help if you find the right one for you, but you've got to have the discipline to go, no, I'm going to do this now, I'm going to stick with it, because the problem is when we feel like that, often we can't be bothered to do the practices that are actually going to help us. You know, there's certainly a problem with depression where people feel low. They can know what's going to help them, they can hear it. it. It's like, I just can't be bothered doing it. Yeah. I don't want to do well, it. You feel like, don't deserve it. I don't need, you know, I've certainly yeah, done that. Yeah, and, and which is why I think it's very important with anything you think is going to help you that you break it down to its smallest possible amount of minutes that you think is going to work for you. Even one minute can make a difference on a breath practice. Like I love the three, four, five breath where you breathe in for three, you hold for four, you breathe out for five. That's a million other breaths that work as well. But one minute of doing that three, four, five breath will literally change your physiology. It will change who you are because anytime your out-breath is longer than your in-breath, you actually help to switch off the stress half of your nervous system and activate the relaxation part of your nervous system. So in that moment last night, if, for example, you had done one, two, three minutes of three, four, five breathing, you would literally have started to see the world slightly differently. Would it have been enough? Possibly, possibly not, but it might have lessened the impact. Um, there's an exercise that I created a few years ago that is trying to sort of help my patients that I call the five-step release, which is for people who are stuck in a, um, a negative pattern loop or an anxious thought. 
I came up with these five simple questions that people can literally, in the moment, just try and address. So, what's one thing I'm anxious about? That's the first question. What's one thing I can do about it? Three, what's one reason why it probably won't be as bad as I think? Number four, what's one reason why I know I can handle it? And five, what's one upside of the situation? Mm, I love that. So simple, so, so effective. Because when the noise is just going around your brain and your mind, it can just become really loud. And you've got to do something. You've got to take action. So even if you simply write down or you keep those five questions in your notes app, on your phone or whatever, you know, somewhere to hand, you just go, okay, you know what? I'm just going to literally answer those questions. What, what am I actually um, I'm anxious that I'm hosting this festival tomorrow and I, I've got to be on all day. Right, you write it down. Literally writing that down starts to literally and metaphorically take that worry out of your brain and puts it out onto paper. It gives you a perspective. You know, you can go through it. What's one reason why you probably know you can handle it? Hey, you know what? I, I've done this before. I've done live radio for years. I've done live telly for years. I've been underslept before and I was still pretty good at what I did. That's so, what I always have to go to is, I've not slept and been fine. Exactly. So I can do this. Yeah, yeah. so you just need, yeah. to, you need to remind it, you just write it down. You get, yeah, yeah, that's great. God, I've done that before. And, you know, the last question, what's one upside of the situation? You know, it could be anything, but it could be, God, you know what, this actually shows that I really care. I really care about all these people who are coming, and I want to make sure they have a fantastic time. It sounds simple. It sounds like, is that really going to work? I can tell you, some people, that five-step release exercise literally is their lifeline. They keep it with them. They use it. And I love simple tools because if you make it complicated or it takes too long, people aren't going to do it. And if, you, if any of you have got kids or teenagers who struggle with anxiety, they're nervous about school starting, right? Please share that exercise with them. I've done it with loads of kids, with loads of teenagers before exams and stuff. It makes a massive difference. They're simple, they're free, but they really work. They really work. And also, I love the fact that you're doing something because in the moments where you feel like completely hopeless about something, you end up doing nothing. So of course, the outcome will be as you've expected. You, you won't sleep or, or you will feel awful when you get to school, work, whatever it is. But even just knowing you've done something about it, is a, you have a sense of accomplishment, I think, already, yeah. and a new direction to travel in. Yeah, and, and just to touch on sleep a minute and link it into that, because I've now rem remembered the second thing as well. Here he goes. So I can, uh, <laughs> thankfully, because you know what, when, you, when I first said that, I'm going to be totally honest, for the, for the minute after that, I was starting to beat myself up in my head. I think, <laughs> And I thought, Rogan, what are you doing? It's okay. You're human. It's fine. You forgot. So what? Do you know what I mean? That was we love you more for it. That was literally happening. Um, and sleep, you know, you've got to be careful. And I've really, I think, fallen into this trap unwittingly over the last few years is when you try and raise awareness of the importance of sleep, what you often end up doing is freaking out yes. parents and shift workers. And so I'm always very conscious now when I'm having conversations about sleep to make sure we cover that and go, okay, it's great to empower people to prioritize sleep a bit more, but also let's, um, let's also tackle this issue. And I, you know, I met uh, a mum before who's got a new, lovely newborn baby and you know, is tired and yep. struggling to make ends, you know, to do the work that she wants to do. Yeah. And you've got to remember nuclear families 
This is a modern phenomenon. Very new. This is new. The fact that you're finding it hard, either by yourself or just with your partner, with no help to bring up your kids and work and have a relationship with your partner, it is really, really difficult. We've never done this before as humans. We've always had tribes. We've always had communities. So go easy on yourself, right? It is hard, is the first thing I want to say. Second thing, anxiety is always worse when you haven't slept. Yeah. Always. Because we know that amygdala, do you remember I mentioned the emotional brain? We know if you go from eight hours to five hours, and this was done in the study, which is why I'm giving those numbers, your amygdala can be up to 50% more reactive. Wow. Right? So literally, if you've had a bad night's sleep, you are going to be more anxious. You are going to be more reactive. But going back to what I said before, right, if you tune into yourself, if you wake up and you've had the practice of sitting with yourself, you can, it doesn't mean your day's going to go great, but you're going to be aware of it. You're going to be like, hey, you know what? I'm knackered today. I'm going to crave more sugar. I'm going to be more reactive. I could easily get into a little tiff with my partner or my kids if I'm not careful. So part of my morning routine now is the end of my meditation. What I do is I have a reminder to myself, okay, how do you want to be today? What have you done recently that you'd like to change? And you almost are rehearsing beforehand. Okay, if this happens, I don't want to react. If my kids say they want to do that, I want to stay calm. I want to smile at them. I'm not perfect. I'm not human. But if I've actually, you know, a professional golfer will do this before they go and play 18 holes. They'll rehearse it the night before. They'll have literally played the course in their heads. And, and this is a wider point I think about, which is high performance, right? We, we accept it if a tennis player does that before Wimbledon or a pro golfer does it. But we all want our high performance in our own lives. You know, I want high performance as a father. I want to be a high-performing husband, right? I want to be a high-performing podcast host. Whatever you're, whatever you're passionate about, you want to do that to the best of your ability. So why would you not apply the same techniques that an athlete would who just wants high performance in their sport? And I've only introduced that in the last three months into my morning routine. And it's made a bit of a difference because if I'm feeling reactive or I haven't slept, I'm like, oh, yeah, you, you thought about that this morning. You're not going to react here. So, again, that might be useful for people. Um, the bit about that uh, Russell conversation that I wanted to share, going back to stress, which I do think is a big, big issue, and there's a lot of invisible stress that goes on that we're not aware of how much it's impacting us. He shared some research with me that he said in between your 40s and 50s, there's now research showing that if you are chronically stressed and chronically sleep-deprived in that time period, which is often when people are in the prime of their careers and they're doing stuff, that now is also being linked with dementia. Right? Now, I don't say that to scare people. I say that because we've got to take this seriously. Yeah. You cannot keep pushing it all the time keep doing things for everyone else, keep taking on more work commitments, keep seeing the latest Instagram influencer doing that, go, I want to do that as well because I want to be them. I'm telling you, it's a dangerous game to play. You will end up causing yourself damage, right? And what I want to share is that looking after stress is not as hard as you think. Five minutes of yoga, five minutes of breathing, five minutes of skipping, these little things will make a difference. I absolutely promise you. And for over the last few years, a big part of my clinical practice has been patients who have been sick for years with chronic autoimmune problems. And one thing I do 
with all my patients who, who are like this, as I do a timeline. So I go through the whole life from uh, childhoods, teenage years, because I want to know what has been going on in your life that, that has meant on this particular day, you've rocked up in my clinic with all these symptoms. Yeah. And I can tell you almost 100% of the time, within the last six months before they start with their autoimmune symptoms, there is always a significant stressor in their life. Bereavement, job loss, moved house, split up with a partner, like something big has happened. Now, I'm not saying that's the cause of it, but it's often the trigger. And so I, I, I just want to make, guys, this is real, right? This is affecting people's health. And I just want people to take stress seriously and go, actually, you know what? Maybe I'm going to say no to that invitation. Maybe I'm going to spend this weekend just at home chilling. I'm not going to go and do. Do you know what I mean? I'm really passionate about this. Yeah, because I think my main takeaway from this is like so much of wellness is, is decision making. It's not a prescribed thing that someone tells you to do. It's you making decisions that on that gut instinct level feel good. And, and I'm listening to you knowing I've got to massively take heed of of that advice because, well, for a start, I'm in that bloody age bracket now. And, uh, and you know, I, I, I don't want to feel stressed. No one wants to feel stressed. We don't want to feel stressed. So it is about making good decisions that aren't the same as your best mate or your partner or whoever it is. They're good decisions for you. And I think I'm, I'm always grateful when I talk to you. I love talking to you, Ronga. And we could, we could literally talk for a month and we wouldn't breathe. We've got so much to, to discuss. But I always walk away with understanding something better. And I think today mine is certainly the notion of, oh, God, everyone's going, I can hear rain. It's not rain, Fern. It never rains rain. up north, honestly. No. Not rain. So my decision in this moment is to not be stressed or panic that everyone's now putting cagoules on and just to go, let's be a bit Drew Barrymore about this and get out in the rain and dance in it. Be free in the rain and love life. I want to say a massive thank you for all of you for sitting and listening to this talk. And a huge thank you to Rongan Chatterjee. God, that chat was just packed with gems, packed, such useful stuff. I could see so many people in the audience writing notes on phones, getting notepads out. Especially those five questions to ask yourself when you're feeling anxious. I've jotted them down. I am going to use them. What a brilliant tool, a gift that Rongan has given us. Rongan, I cannot thank you enough. I owe you big time again. And obviously, if you want even more from Rongan, you can listen to his beautiful podcast, Feel Better, Live More. I mentioned a chat I have with a gorgeous guy called Jambo. You'll be able to hear that one next week. So watch out for that. We had so many other brilliant conversations on stage at our Happy Place festivals that I cannot wait for you to hear. I literally can't wait for you to hear them. So you'll be getting another one. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com 
tomorrow. I really hope that you enjoy it. Until then, huge, huge thanks to Rongan, to the producer Anushka Tate at Rethink Audio, and to you, whether you are at the festival with us or listening in your headphones, I appreciate you. 